Uh, hello. 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 How is it going? Good. That's good. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. What have you guys been up to? Just watching movies and Don't say it. Don't say it. And talking about the movies oh that I just gosh. watched. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what I've been up to. That's what you've been up to? That's what I'm currently up to. That's pretty exciting. I know. I gotta say. Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. The only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I'm the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hello. How are you? Good. Still? Yeah, yeah. That was just a couple seconds ago. That's that fantastic. Yeah. Uh, to the right of Becca and to the left of me, due to the circular nature of our table, is Sid. Hello. How are you? Pretty good. Do you remember uh, way back when in the annals of the We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them compendium, uh... The conversation about good SIDS and bad SIDS. Oh, I have a letterboxed list of just movies with bad SIDS. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about that conversation. I can never forget about it. For, I just it just reminded I remembered it right now. Uh basically, for those of you who are not long time listeners, episode three of the podcast we covered wow. uh Children of Men by Alfonso Coron. I just remember like the first 10 or so, and then from there it's yeah, all I don't remember a blur. any of them. I think that we did episodes on movies that we didn't, and I forget that we did episodes on movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... This is, uh, my list is called Some Dick Named Sid. <laughs> um, and so the movies that I currently have in there are LA Confidential, Toy Story, Children of Men, Us, Shazam, and Sid and Nancy. Mm, very good so. what's the uh what's the consensus as far as the spelling goes i know that uh in children of men it is syd yeah I th- sid and nancy is obviously sid sid, i believe toy story I. is too toy story is i i think la confidential is i i think us is sy because it's a girl right um and i'm not sure about shazam okay so pretty evenly split but we have been greatly misrepresented i would say yeah but i do know that the new um I'm not okay with this show on Netflix. The main character's name is Sid, and a lot of times she gets told to smile. Mm. And I feel like I relate a lot to that character. You should smile more. Smile, Sid. Yeah, why don't you smile more? <laughs> She's going to kick she us did. off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sid's, Sid's going to do this one solo. She's just going to come to our house every week, watch a movie, and record the podcast on her own. But yeah. we're not allowed. No, I just tie you guys up in the corner, <laughs> and you just watch me. We watch you. I'm trying to yell from. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I'm talking about Paddington Two for the sixth time. Like no, no matter what you say, Timothy Chalamet is not in Paddington Two. <laughs> he should be, but he's not. But he should be. Gosh, remember his freaking Adidas sport suit from the Oscars? That was amazing. <laughs> that's a power move to show up like that. I need a minute. You guys just <laughs> sit making a face right now. Do the, do the show. I'll jump in when I'm ready. It's a face of, of pure love and enjoyment of Timothy Chalamet. We also have a poster. You can just turn and look oh. at yeah, it. Yeah, turn and stare at the poster. <laughs> there he is. Hey, um, so this week on episode 55 of We Watch Movies and then talk about them. Uh, for the second week in a row, we're going to be talking about the 2020 film masterpiece, The Call of the Wild. 
um, this this week we like it. We can't get enough of this film. Uh, Especially the dog. The freaking ads will not stop showing up on my IMDb. Um, it's really really bad. Uh, have you seen? There's uh, movies in the making subreddit. Um, there's people putting up all of these. I think that's the one. There's people putting up all of these clips of that movie being filmed. And it's just a, a person in a blue suit who has just completely debased themselves oh, no. to to portray the motion of this dog that Harrison Ford is acting against. They should just not have the dog and leave the person in the blue suit. And then I would go watch it. I would watch that. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's so funny to watch this dude like try and capture the motion of a dog that like <laughs> is very clearly just like not a dog. Yeah. You know what would help them capture the movement of a dog? A dog? Yeah. <laughs> Dogs can be trained, man. Like, I I just, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. You yeah. can have, like, a total man-dog adventure, right? Here's the thing. If Beethoven and Homeward Bound can be made without CGI, The Call of the Wild can be made without CGI. That's all I'm yes. saying. Hollywood, you've gotten lazy. You're relying too much on your special effects. Mm-hmm. They don't look that good anymore. Nope. But you know what? It seems easier to train a dog than to go oh, through yeah. all of that. Like, mm. Here's the thing, Becky. You got to remember this is that our visual effects artists spent so long wondering if they could that they never thought to think if they should. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, 1994. <laughs> wow. We love Jeff Thank Goldblum. Thank you, Jeff Goldblum. We do love Jeff Goldblum. Is that when Jurassic Park came out? I, just, I think it's 93, actually. Uh, I don't know. Oh, we should watch Jurassic Park. Dude, we actually should. We should. That would be an awesome In preparation one. for the new Jurassic World. Yeah. yeah. 1993. <laughs> I had it right the second time. Goodness. Dude, but That's so embarrassing. Sid, you should just stick around after the podcast and we'll just watch Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay. That sounds great, actually. That does sound fun. <laughs> I could do that. To some Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, dude. The trifecta. And, uh, uh, Samuel Jackson. Oh, that's right. Hold and, on to your butts. And uh, what's his name? Newman. Sa- Newman and Sam Neill. And Sam and... Neill. Dude, I saw another movie with Sam Neill in it. What movie? Uh, Until the End of the World. It's a n- mid-90s sci-fi film by Wim Wenders. Um, full disclosure, it was a Criterion Collection blind buy because I really liked the art. And it's like five hours long, but it's absolutely phenomenal. It's like one that like has really grown on me since I watched it. I really enjoyed it when I watched it, but it's definitely grown on me. Mm. And it's it's one that's worth watching. But you got to watch the full version. Like I don't know what there's like a two and a half hour cut, but yeah, that's what's coming up on IMDb. Yeah, because I think that the the director's cut didn't get released until Criterion. Mm. Like they did a special release of it, um, <clears throat> but it really is quite fantastic. Um, and worth watching the epicness of it is kind of the point but yeah sam neill in another movie it took me like probably half the movie to realize i was like that's alan grant that's where i know him from because he's actually irish in the movie because oh, sam neill is apparently irish um so he just like has his regular accent in the movie because it's one of those movies where they just like say screw it to accents and they're like whatever you sound like is what you sound like yeah. <laughs> love when they do that right um so it took me forever to like place his voice because he didn't sound like alan grant yeah <laughs> But that's a, it's a factoid about Sam Neill. <laughs> We're really relevant here, guys. We, we really are. It's great. Holy crap. Um, but We've no. gotten through a lot of topics in the last couple minutes. We're bleeding efficiency. we got efficiency mm-hmm. to spare here. But we have yet to talk about 
what we're here to talk about. You were so close. You're welcome to introduce segments. Becca, let's do it. It's fine. Do it. Feminism. No, Feminism. <laughs> we're the feminism podcast now. Um, That's the topic I choose to introduce. <laughs> okay, well, uh, never mind. You can no longer introduce topics. Um, here, we're, we're here to talk about Milos Forman's 1975 Best Picture winner. Um, one of only three movies. I'm sure this was in the trivia, and I don't mean to kneecap you here, but I found it very interesting. One of only three movies to do the big sweep of Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Only three movies have done that sweep. Um, one of them you've never heard of, Becca, and the other one you have. Okay. Which one that you have heard of do you think achieved this feat? I don't know. Any guess? Wait. What movie do you think won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay? I don't know. You've seen it, but you probably forgot that you saw it. The Silence of the Lambs. Okay. I thought (laughs) thought this was supposed to be something I would absolutely know. No, that's just, it's a a good trivia factoid. I don't know what to tell you. I don't remember. Do you remember what the third one is? Um, It was some movie in the 30s, I think, right? Yeah, let me find it. Which is crazy. There was a 50-year gap. Yeah. Well, 30, right? Because this was 75. Uh, it happened one night. Yeah. Who the freak knows what that is? Oh. Gosh, you know what? This bums me out sometimes going back and looking at like these. Because like, I was looking at the other nominees for this year for 1975. Uh, sorry. Uh, I We're talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's in the title, but I never said it out loud. Um, I was going back and looking at the other nominees because I was like, what did this beat out? And literally the only movie that was nominated that year for any single award that I had heard of was Barry Lyndon. It was just like packed full of movies that I was yeah. like, I have no freaking clue yeah. what that is. I huh. had that thought while we were watching this because um, I was like, oh, I wonder what it beat out. And it it makes me sad that we don't know these movies, but it also like makes me worry about like what if like 20 years from now everyone's going to be like, what was call me by your name never heard of it well right like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i mean is like it's gonna be it's it's even been interesting in the last few years to see which movies have Mm -hmm. like held up and are still talked about and it's so strange like especially getting to the end of the decade and how list obsessed uh we are like as a just like consumers of media for Mm -hmm. some reason like we've all just become really list obsessed and i i love lists i make lists of everything right this is fun Lists are a lot of fun, but like seeing everybody's decade list comes out. It's so interesting that like you look back and, and it's not like, oh, I don't even, I'm, I'm blanking. It's not like these overly serious dramas even that are getting remembered. Like the two movies that I saw more consistently than any other at decade end lists were the social network and Mad Max, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Like that those for some reason are the movies that really stood the test of time, right? Yeah. The tree of life was like kind of there. It was probably on like half the lists that I saw, but I don't think that I looked at a decade end list that didn't have both the social network and Mad Max. And in a lot of lists had one of the two of them in the top spot. Hmm. So that, I just thought that was interesting. That those are the movies. Like, I wonder, you know, what we're seeing now as we start out, like that's going to, persist right like is parasite going to continue to be a cultural force or are we going to forget about it i don't know it better we better not forget about it or not well Well, i don't think it will because it is like a very like historical moment of being like the first international film well sure but you think back and it's like who's talking about the artist and that's almost as big of a feat as parasite yeah it's a black and white silent film in the 2010s that won best picture like yeah 
that's a huge feat, I think, to pull off. And nobody freaking talks about the artist. It's fair. I mean, you've seen it, right, Sid? Uh-huh. Like, d- is it a good movie? Oh, yeah. I really liked it. It's really good. But, yeah, it's not really one that, like, stays with you, you know? Um, and not really one that, like, kind of permeates society. It's kind of like with um, Avatar and how that was, like, the top grossing movie for 10 years. And no one ever remembers anything about it. And, just, like, and like, who do you know that is like, you know what? I love Avatar. Yeah, no <laughs> one. You can't, you can't like quote anything from it. No one thinks about it in their just like day to day life. No one isn't the main character's name Jake? Probably. Isn't that right? I think so. Sounds right. What is it? Isn't like Jake Sullivan? Isn't that his name? James P. Sullivan. Are you serious? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a more memorable movie and a more memorable character. Is that? What is that? It's from Monsters, Inc. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that literally last week. Uh, the movie's fantastic. Hang on. Avatar. It's probably like Jake Smith. Because Jake, Jake be- Sully. Dude, I was Whoa. so close. <laughs> Look at me go. Oh my gosh, dude. Because it's basically just Pocahontas. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Or like, I don't know. Like, it's just so, like, I'm really curious to see, like, what came out last year, which was such a fantastic year for movies. Like, what's going to persist, right? Like, there's certain things that I would love to see. I would love to, like, here's the thing. I'm not under any, like, illusion that, like, The Lighthouse is going to be a film that people remember for years yeah. and years to come. That doesn't mean it's not a fantastic film. Yeah. It was my number two. But like, I don't know, just like looking back, I'm like, you know, I could see, you know, maybe like Uncut Gems is going to be like the taxi driver for my kids. You know, when they're when they're in their mid 20s and they look back and they're like, oh, shoot, the the Safdie brothers directed this and they've made some amazing films over the last 30 years. And this was one of their first ones. So, like, let's go watch Uncut Gems. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting. Like you look at like Joker, right? And, like, I really don't think that's going to be one that's going to be remembered for a long time well, to come. I feel like it w- wasn't even super remembered over the past few months. Like, sure, at yeah. the Oscars. Right. But, like, 11 nominations. Yeah. But, like, just in general, for people, I feel like there was a lot of hype for it. And then as soon as it came out, like, the next week, we yeah. were on to other things. Well, it's because they, like, did nothing to quell the media cycle that Joker was going to incite incel violence. And when that didn't happen, everybody was like... Oh, yeah, so it's just a pretty good movie. <laughs> yeah. And, like, being a pretty good movie is not newsworthy at all. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> and then it also disappoints me because I'm like, you know what? When my kids are, again, you know, thinking that way, like, when my kids are 25, like, what's going to incite them to go watch Greta Gerwig's Little Women? I will me. sit their <laughs> but, asses down well, and sure, watch this. Sure, but that's what I'm saying is, you know what I mean? Like, without that... Yeah. Like that generation, like, and that's just a fantastic film that they're just not going to see. But then at the same time, you're like, they're not going to stop making good movies. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, there's such an, like, we're, we're getting to a point, you know, we're a hundred plus years past the commercialization of film. Like it, there's just such an abundance of incredible content out there. Like you can't see it all mm-hmm. and you can't be aware. Like w- what would ever incite me to sit down and be like, you know what? I'm going to watch all of the nominees for best picture from 1976. Yeah. Like, w- yeah. like one flew over the cuckoo's nest gets remembered for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that I knew anything about it, but I had actually heard of it. Yeah. Probably just literally on the back of Jack Nicholson. Yeah. 
I knew it because of The Simpsons. Oh, for real? They had an episode about it. (laughs) What happened in said episode? Um, I don't totally... Maybe I'm mixing it up with the episode where Homer goes to a mental institution and he befriends someone who thinks he's Michael Jackson. (laughs) Or maybe they're two different episodes. I don't know. I just do remember that there was... Maybe it was that episode and there was just one reference to Chief. Oh, okay. I don't know. Don't ask me. In any case, I don't know. It's just a fun thought experiment to think like, and even then, like in 10 years, are we still going to be talking about Mad Max and the social network? Better be. Well, right. Here's the thing. I, I, I'm going to say this on the air, um, but I haven't discussed this with you guys at all. I think it would be cool to every once in a while do like a re-episode. And like do a, a movie we've already done. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. here's the thing. I think that we were uh, very uh, inexperienced, obviously, at the beginning of this endeavor. And I have always, not always, in the last year or so, uh, felt quite bad about the treatment that we gave to the social network. I think we were too harsh on it. I think it deserves better. I think it's a much, be- I think it's a much better film than we gave it credit for. Mm-hmm. And I think it deserves a better discussion than we gave it. So I think that'd be fun to do sometimes. Do like a redo of the social network. If we do that, could we also do Paddington too? <laughs> I think we did a good episode on Paddington too, but sure. We can just do a redo episode and we'll do like three movies in one. Okay. That's actually not a bad idea. That would be kind of fun. That's probably the way to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is like we each pick one yeah. that we want to go back and okay. do a re-episode of. There All we right. go. I'm Podcast good. planning on the air. Okay. This is very interesting. <laughs> so listeners, get ready for that coming up soon. We're going to do, we're each going to pick one episode that we have, or one movie that we have already covered. And do a review of it. Cool. I pick Suspiria. <laughs> just to make me watch it again? Right. Just to have an excuse <laughs> to make you watch it. We did have a good discussion of Suspiria. All right, folks. Um, that's discussion about history and culture, That's I suppose. the podcast. All right. We'll see you guys. <laughs> uh, but we are going to talk specifically about this movie. Um, again, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975, directed by Milos Forman. Uh, winner of uh, several Academy Awards, including all the big ones. Um, starring Jack Nicholson and like weirdly a bunch of people like Christopher yeah. Lloyd is in this Danny yeah. DeVito is in this um, Scatman Scatman Crathers is in this I love Scatman dude <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part we watching this is he walks up and I was like that looks like Scatman <laughs> Sid was just like it is Scatman <laughs> I didn't know I talked like Batman you did. You said that one specifically like wow. Batman. It is Scatman. I don't understand my true power, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. Where is she? Where's the other half of the drugs? <laughs> uh, so yeah, so here's how this is going to work. We're going to give some hot takes. Uh, then we're going to have an in-depth discussion. Then we'll give uh, final thoughts and ratings out of 10, along with Trivia Sid, supplying us with the best of the best of IMDb movie trivia. Um, and then we'll talk about other things, uh, which I guess uh, we already had a lot of the other things. So we'll basically talk about other movies we've been watching. And that's that. So let's get into it. And audience, make sure that you uh, don't burn yourself on these hot takes. Becca, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Really? Yeah, it's pretty spicy. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Not because I like crazy love the movie but because my thoughts are all over the place oh so, so it's it's, spicy. it's 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 like a like a confused yeah hot take 
I have like, like you thought you were getting red sauce, but instead you got green sauce. Yeah, or really, it's like <laughs> they took the mild, medium, and hot sauces and just dumped them all in a bowl. But the hot sauce won out. But no, but they didn't mix them, Uh-oh. so they all kind of like took their own. So spot. when you do a big sweeping scoop. You could get all of them, or like if you just go on one side, maybe it's hot, maybe it's mild, and you just don't know until you bite it. Okay, give me the hottest take. Red sauce or, red sauce or green sauce? Uh, depends on... No, no, no. It doesn't depend. Red sauce or green sauce? It depends. It doesn't depend. It does depend. One wins. Sid, hot, red sauce or green sauce? I'm white, so I don't like any spicy stuff. That's fine, but red sauce or green sauce? You can get mild of both. They just have different flavors. What's wrong with you people? You don't have an well, opinion no, on this? It, I, no, I do, but it really depends on what I'm getting. No, red sauce all the way. Uh, Every single I time. I like green sauce with like, green sauce like is too enchiladas. Sweet. Red sauce. Yes, I love green sauce. Enchilada, enchilada sauce is literally red. You can get green enchilada sauce. Yeah, but it's I gross. I almost always make enchiladas with green enchilada sauce. Bleh. I haven't made enchiladas for like a year. It's true. So. Okay. Anyway. Continuing your hot take. My... <laughs> Mixed salsas. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I'm not really sure how to feel about this movie because I feel like it, it I did either I didn't get what it was saying or I didn't like what it was saying or it wasn't saying anything. Okay. <laughs> These are A, B, and C options. Yes, the mild, the medium, and the hot. This okay, is, great. This is how I feel about it. So the it. hot is that it wasn't saying anything. <laughs> no, that would probably be the medium. Oh, okay. Or the mild. Gotcha. I don't know. I don't really know. <laughs> the metaphor is <Anyway>. falling apart. <laughs> well, don't question it too much or it will fall apart. Um. Anyway, I don't no i wow. <laughs> i'm sorry i feel like i still am trying to like think through this movie because there's a lot about it that i really didn't like and i think a lot of it has to do with when it came out and the time period and like it was talking about and showing us a mental institution that might have been pretty common for that era but is like completely offensive for today well sure and but it wasn't really talking about it in a way that made it seem offensive. Like every now and then it felt like the movie wanted me to think that what they were doing was offensive, but it also made the nurse and the doctor very like sympathetic characters. So it's hard to tell what side I was supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the entire time I was on, Jack Nicholson's side. Everything he was doing, I thought was totally fine. And I do think that he is, has some kind of mental illness. Like that seemed very obvious to me, but like the things that he was doing for the other patients there were all really good things. And a lot of this comes from like my background in recreational therapy, like everything he did was correct and therapeutic and healing for the patients. And everything that the nurse did was terrible and triggering and not therapeutic and not helpful for the patients. But I felt like in the movie, everything that she was doing still came across as like okay and acceptable and therapeutic because she still was a fairly sympathetic character. She just like was also very strict 
And so to me, it felt like it just wasn't really like taking a side. And so I didn't know which side to take. And so the ending wasn't very satisfying for me. And I don't know, I came away from it feeling like I'm just glad that mental institutions are not like this today. And it was interesting to watch coming from like a, a therapy background. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my hot take. <laughs> it's pretty hot. Sid, how hot is your hot take? Uh, not that hot. Um, I mean, I really liked this movie. Um, I, this is, this was actually on my list last year and I just didn't, um, get around to watching it. And it's kind of one that I have been reluctant to watch cause it seemed like it is a heavy movie, but I think that they add in some comedic moments and some other moments that kind of lighten it. But I do definitely agree that it is like a really bad misre- misrepresentation of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that is it's still like a problem in in movies and um but yeah i think it is mostly just like the time period where it's like oh you're in a a mental institution you gotta be crazy you know Mm -hmm. um yeah and i'm not entirely sure because like i understand um what's the nurse's name again uh, ratchet okay i kept thinking it was crowthers um that's scamming yeah i know <laughs> um like i understand like what she was doing she thought was for the best mm-hmm. um so yeah like it's hard to see like i've heard about her as being like she's on a list of like the top 20 worst movie villains in every you know and she's on there a lot and i'm like i i don't really see that she's really an evil person. I think mm-hmm. that she's just very set in her ways and she doesn't like others' input. Um, and and that's, like, how treatment was. Yeah. And that time period. Yeah, like, for sure. So I feel like kind of, like, at maybe at the time that this came out, and this even, um, the movie is set before um, 1975. Um, 63 is what yeah. it said. Um, so I think it is kind of a this is how things have been. Um, maybe at the time things were a little bit better, but I think it was also kind of like things need to change, you know, instead of treating them like they are prison inmates, treat them like they're people. Mm-hmm. And sorry, not to keep interrupting you, but I think that's kind of where some of my confusion lies is I'm like, all of this I'm watching now and see a lot of this is wrong and like not properly representing what it's like Mm -hmm. um but i don't know if that was like the intent because this was made in 75 Mm -hmm. um so like i don't know i just i don't know if that was the intent or if the intent of the movie was just to show like just factually what it's like Mm -hmm. in a mental institution at that time and i mean this is based off a book of um i believe that he worked in an institution and he made this story up through it um so yeah definitely pretty much the whole movie is dated like the part where um uh jack nicholson is talking to chief and he's like you know being pretty racist like yeah the movie just didn't age well but that's because it's a movie that's set in the 60s Mm -hmm. where things 
did not age well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm, like, not totally entirely sure what the message is, but that's kind of how, what I got out of it. And, and it's always hard to watch movies that I didn't, like, live through the period, so it's hard to be like, oh, well, so at this time, mental institutions were better at this, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to know what was the purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I also have kind of a green sauce take on this one, um, but I think for different reasons than you guys. And I'm kind of uh, honestly a little baffled by some of your interpretations. Um, mostly the idea that Nurse Ratched is a sympathetic character. I did not get that vibe oh, at really? all. Uh uh-uh. uh. I did, and maybe that's also part of my therapeutic background. Mm-hmm. Is just that, like you said, Sid, like she was doing what she thought was best. And it seemed like she genuinely did care about the patients. But she was trying to keep like a professional therapeutic relationship with them. And she was doing what she was taught to work with these yeah. patients. Yeah, I, just, I, I mean, and it could just be a difference in background. I don't know. I didn't see that at all. I, I did not see her as caring about the patients, honestly. I saw her. I, I Again, I, I saw the lists as well of you know, top movie villains of all time. So like I went into this honestly expecting like a Kathy Bates and misery type deal of like her just torturing patients and blah, blah, blah. And what came out of it was sure her torturing patients, but like in a much more sinister way. Mm-hmm. And I did not see her as caring for the patients. The very first real introduction we have to her is her quote unquote therapy session where she basically talks about, um, what's his name? The guy that talks about his wife. Harding. Uh, Harding. Harding. She talks about Harding's uh, basically sexual impotence and asks all of the other guys to comment on it. Like, mm-hmm. that's not cool. Yeah. And yeah. like, in no way could that be seen as anything other than attempting to embarrass him mm-hmm. and, you know, really demoralize him even more. Right. Well, but again, that's how uh, therapy treatments were for mentally ill, especially hospitalized. Well, so that's that's where point. I get to my real point is that. I, I don't see this as an endorsement. I see it as an indictment. I think that, I, I mean, I see this almost as like the jungle for mental institutions, right? Um, I guess for all our kids out there who didn't go to high school, uh, the jungle being Upton Sinclair's novel about food production in the United States that led to basically the USDA being formed uh, because of his expose on, it's like a work of fiction about a factory worker uh, that basically reveals like the totally unsanitary conditions under which our food was produced forever, right? And so I see this as like on that level, but about you know mental hospitals and their treatment of patients and their methods, right? So like the, yeah, the fact that that's how things were done back then, like the movie is saying like this is how like for the time period, right? Jump back you know fifty years at this point, they're saying yeah, this is how things are done and this is effed up, like this is not cool and. But I don't know that I really got the this is not cool part because the only character and the only way that they said that was through Jack Nicholson, who is a criminal um, who they're trying they're trying to see if he's mentally ill or not. And right. that feels like um, like not the best like point of view to him. come from. Yeah. Well, but you know like I mean? how else? I guess my thing is like I see that like statutory rape not cool just gonna say that oh yeah but like i i see that as almost like that's that's the the gun that fires the bullet that is jack nicholson right like they had to get him in there somewhere with this kind of like 
you know, zero F's given attitude, right? For him to, for his character to be successful in the way that they needed him to be to illustrate the things that they wanted to, they had to get him in there somehow. And for him to be able to, uh, I guess, accomplish the goals that they had for his character in the screenplay, he needed to be kind of a piece of crap, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I, I don't know. It just didn't feel that strong to me. It just felt like it was just all kind of factual. And- well, and I, I think I disagree with that too, because it's like, he, like, he he takes a very unstudied approach to it, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he just gets in there. And I think that in some ways having him be a criminal makes it even more powerful. That It's like, literally this guy who's like a total piece of garbage, like, raped a 15-year-old, not a great dude, right? Gets in here. And literally all he does is just, like, talk to these people like they're human beings and, um, like treated them in a way that refused to make the assumption that the worst thing about them was their defining characteristic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He just like acknowledged that they had other characteristics than their mental illness. And like, like you said, like that was way more therapeutic for them than having their insecurities discussed in a group. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I, I like, again, I almost see it like with him being a criminal as that being an even more powerful sentiment that like even this guy like this guy could figure it out but like you know doctors for hundreds of years studying people couldn't so that's why i mean when i say like i don't see it as an endorsement or even just like a like a like a slice of life thing i see it as an indictment and a like this is what's going on and this needs to change mm-hmm. and i think that's where a lot of the momentum from it probably came from at the time right is like and I guess the other point that I would disagree with a little bit was the one that you said, Sid, that was like that it showed in the way that it portrayed mental illness. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not experienced in this field, but like I thought it was quite effective at showing that like mental illness doesn't always look like, you know, like you see on how many TV shows and movies they go to a mental hospital and it's people running around in circles and mm-hmm. screaming things at the skies and they think they're Jesus or whatever. Oh, yeah. And you get in here and it's just like a bunch of dudes who like just kind of can't handle things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like I, I didn't see any of them as like particularly like capital C crazy. Yeah. I would probably say like of the main characters, there's not a, a big issue with that, but it was probably more like kind of the background characters, ones that are just kind of like dancing around and um and that's fair yeah, i felt so the same way about i will that. say this is like a more realistic portrayal than i've seen in a while but still like honestly like the realistic portrayals aren't gonna be making the most captivating movies mm-hmm. you know so i think yeah it, it is more realistic but there were some parts where i could be like yeah maybe you could see that but it is a little bit dramatic yeah mm-hmm. and here's the thing like i'm finding myself defending this movie but like i didn't love it mm-hmm. like i'm i'm pretty like i said like lukewarm on the movie as a whole mm-hmm. but i do like it, it's funny because i think that like as a film it's pretty okay mm-hmm. honestly but i get where that momentum came from especially like you know you think back 50 years and like where were we as a public with our 
acceptance and discussion of mental illness, right? And you come along and you show this this side of things that's, you know, just treat people like human beings and you're going to see what happens. Like, that's a pretty powerful statement for a film to make. And I think that's the statement that the movie is making. As a film, like I said, I think it's okay. I think it's pretty well made. Um, again, without seeing the uh, other nominees, like... I don't know that I get the best actress. Jack Nicholson definitely killed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, best director, again, I thought it was pretty okay. And best picture, like as a movie overall, like I thought it was okay. Yeah. Which, and maybe this was just me going in with my expectations, right? Like you hear about Nurse Ratchet on these lists of humongous movie villains. And like my only real exposure to Milos Forman is Amadeus, mm-hmm. which is like to date one of the biggest surprises that I've ever had with a movie that like I sat down to watch it thinking like, Oh yeah, we'll see what this is at one best picture. I don't know. And just being completely and utterly blown away by it. So I go in with, you know, these expectations of like, we're going to get a fantastic villain made by this completely masterful filmmaker. So maybe like just the fact that it didn't live up to those things, like led me to be disappointed. I have no idea, but Mm -hmm. I, I still, I guess wrapping up this long and rambling thought, I think that the, the statement that the film is making is pretty powerful and is important today, but was probably more important at that time. I guess I went in expecting a shutter Island type deal, maybe not as trippy, but like, I guess more ominous. And I wasn't expecting it to be so funny Mm -hmm. and like as jovial as it is, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then like kind of out of nowhere, it gets real dark. But Yeah. I guess I just wish that the statement was stronger because to me, and I know I already said this, but like it, feel, it felt like it wasn't making a statement because even when the patients got out and they like had their ride and got on the boat and all of that, like it didn't feel like the movie was saying like this is a good thing and these people are human and happy and this is therapeutic for them. It was just like an escape and a joyride and we need to get them back so that we can help them. Um, and so I, I don't know to me, the statement was not strong enough. And that's fair. I think that that's almost as much of, at least from my minimal exposure to his work, right? I've seen this now and Amadeus and man on the moon. I think that's more of a stylistic thing with Milos Forman. And so that might just be like a stylistic thing that you disagree with, right? Okay. I don't feel like, I feel like his movies make important statements, um, but I don't uh, think that they're like as in your face oftentimes. Yeah, they're not super apparent. Yeah, like mm-hmm. Amadeus is just a really captivating story, but like when you think about it for more than two seconds, you get into these really interesting uh, discussions of like, creativity and originality and ambition and all of this but you can also just watch it and be like oh wow that's a fantastic story mm-hmm. and i think that that like i said from the things that i have seen i think that's just a milos Forman thing that he doesn't like to throw his message in your face mm-hmm. so that's fair and i don't, didn't need to be thrown in my face necessarily but yeah i just came away from it and i didn't know anything about like nurse ratchet being one of the biggest villains or whatever and maybe that affected my viewing of it too because i to me she did feel like a partially sympathetic character and so it felt like the movie was trying to i don't know it ended up saying not a lot to me okay um but to change the subject a little i want to bring this up before i forget 
Um, this reminded me a lot of this article that I had to read for my class called 10 Days in a Madhouse. And it's about this reporter who wants to know what it's like in a mental institution around this time, like 1950s-ish. And so she does something to get herself committed. And then she feel, she tries to act like she has a mental illness, but soon finds out that she doesn't need to. And instead of, like, she just wanted to learn how the patients were treated. And she found out in her 10 days, the more, like, herself and the more normal that she tried to act, the more the doctors saw her as having a mental illness. And by the end of her 10 days, it became very, very hard for her to, like, prove that she wasn't mentally ill and that she was a reporter and like actually get out all right you think about it right like they think she's a patient Mm -hmm. yeah and then she all of a sudden presents this delusion that she (laughs) it's a reporter like it's i don't know it's a really really good article about this exact thing about like the mistreatment of mentally ill patients in this time period and just like the perception of doctors and nurses and most people in that time that like um mentally ill patients need to be locked up and kept away and the way to make them better is to take everything away from them put them in a white jumpsuit in a white room take away all of their activities and their the things that are sensory stimulate that are stimulating for them and that's what's going to help them mm-hmm. which would drive all of us crazy oh yeah all right Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. It reminded me of that article. And I would love to see that in a movie, like a news reporter going undercover in a mental institution. Uh, They have that movie, and you've seen it several times. What? It's called Never Been Kissed. (laughs) (laughs) Let's watch that movie. All right. It's basically the same thing. So a reporter goes undercover in a mental institution (laughs) to... Find out what it's like. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. No, for real. And I, I guess, in that same vein, I, I, I thought one of the more powerful scenes in the movie was when they all revealed that the majority of them were voluntarily Mm -hmm. there, right? And I, I think that that to me like spices up, not spices up, that's the wrong, like reinforces the the message of the movie even more because it, to me, it juxtaposes the public perception of these institutions again at the time mm-hmm. versus their actual means, right? Yeah. And that obviously these men recognized that something was amiss, that they needed help in some way, that they, for whatever reason, were not able to cope with everyday life and so they voluntarily went to this institution anticipating that they would find help and treatment and therapy and instead are met with again this stripping away of their individuality and of their activities and their interests and all of the time that they have with any uh you know any figure of authority all of the time that they have with those people is spent discussing the worst aspects of themselves yeah and when they step out of line it's electroshock therapy and if they continue to step out of line it's a freaking lobotomy like Mm -hmm. to me like that that scene juxtaposed with the rest of the movie becomes really powerful because again it's it's a commentary like it's an implicit commentary on the public perception of these institutions versus how the patients were actually treated Mm -hmm. 
And again, like what got me thinking about this is that as I was watching, I was like, this is a pretty okay movie. So like, why does it, why did it have so much momentum? Why did it sweep all these awards? Like, why is it one that I still hear about today? And I think that's what it comes down to is like the, its message is not as potent as it was, but at the time was very potent Mm -hmm. and very eye-opening to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I see that. And that one scene in particular, I think, was the strongest scene in the movie. Um, Again, I think that maybe I watched a lot of this movie with like a very... um, therapeutic background and look well i i guess uh, like if i could put it in different words maybe Uh like it feels like you watched it with a very clinical eye yeah and that's not how it's presented at all yeah yeah i feel like that's definitely how me and becca approached it Uh and there were a lot of things like i don't know it's just so interesting to like look back and see the things that were okay in a mental institution that are not okay now and the things that were not okay that are okay now so like for example like everything was just like white and looked like a hospital and or a jail and but yet they had like all of these things like their beds were made of metal they had access to so many what we call in what everybody calls i think in the clinical world sharps they had so much access to things that they could kill themselves with which would never, ever, ever be okay in any kind of rehabilitation center today. Like you're not even, you can't even have shoelaces in a rehabilitation center today. Um, And so it's just interesting to see that, like all of those things, that long list of things poses so much risk. And we saw that risk come to pass that like Mm -hmm. when you have glass and sharp objects, even plastics or pencils or anything like that, that it leads to a lot of um, physical risk for these patients but then when you strip away their individuality and their personality and just make them all wear the same thing and just sit in this room and lock rooms after you go out of them and all of this stuff, like that's also not acceptable. Like we need to help them feel like they have control over their own life and they have their own personality and their own things and their own interests. Um, So anyway, I know that's all with a clinical eye, but it was just (laughs) interesting to see the differences between treatment then and treatment now yeah and honestly like even though it's not as effective 40 something years later like i'm glad this movie isn't as effective because if i were to watch this now and like if this were an eye-opening experience like just thinking about how far we have come in terms of treating mental illness like i i definitely think that it's better that this isn't a huge blow to someone to watch this and be like oh my gosh they actually treat them like that you know it's it's important to look at it and be like wow this is like how it was we've grown from that and we see like what works and we've moved on from it you know that's a good point i like that yeah so i don't know i'm pretty divided on this because like i said as a film i thought it was just okay mm-hmm. but like I, I appreciate its message and i think it had a pretty potent message mm-hmm. And that can, and maybe it was just like that I, I don't come at all from a clinical background in any way. And so I didn't view it at all in that way. And I don't think it's presented in that way. Like, I think it's intentionally presented not in that way. Like, Jack Nicholson's character has a very carefree approach to his uh, brand of therapy, if you want to call it that, right? And it's all self-serving. Like, he's not a good guy. Like, yeah, 
he wants to play basketball so he gets everybody to play basketball <laughs> and like somewhat i guess that becomes a form of recreational therapy yeah. and like he wants to have sex with his girlfriend so he hatches this ludicrous scheme to get all the guys out on a boat because like i don't know but it's, it's not entirely self-serving because he does obviously care about people like yeah. he could have escaped yeah yeah but instead he chose to like help bobby <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of like Oh, this would be really fun for me. Also, yeah, I guess these guys could have fun too, you know. So it's definitely, yeah. uh, I would say it's like selfish intentions. And I think, it, I think honestly, I think that his character does grow over the course of. I think it yeah. becomes less selfish as the movie goes on, yeah. mm-hmm. and he becomes more of an inspirational figure for them. Obviously, yeah, yeah, because he could have easily just left the hospital. Well, right, like he was right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I also think it's about just the man keeping us down. <laughs> I mean, for real, though, like what happens when yeah. you rebel against authority? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They will squash you. Mm-hmm. It, does, it gets lobotomized. That's dark. That's very dark. Yeah. Who, who freaking ever thought that a lobotomy would be a good idea? Like <laughs> They loved it when it first came out. Like I've heard when it first came out. When it first came out, <laughs> no, like when they first invented it. Like, um, I don't remember. I you know who invented it? The first person to decapitate somebody. That's <laughs> that's when it first came out. No, when it like became like, and they loved it. A procedure. Like there was one guy in particular who came up with it, and he would like tour around America and just do doing it. lobotomies. Yeah. Good heavens! And like people would watch it, and yeah, it's horrible. Dude, human beings are freaking sick, man. They really. We, we deserve what we get. That's terrible. Yeah. We don't deserve lobotomies. Well, no. Nobody deserves a lobotomy. Yeah. But we deserve God's wrath. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We had that one coming. <laughs> Good heavens. Though. Like, I really, I'm very curious. Like, I feel like it would be fascinating and infuriating to go back and like, read the clinical journals on like the dude who invented the lobotomy to be like so here you cut in and you remove this part of the brain and it won't kill him i know because i i killed a bunch of people removing the wrong part of the brain but (laughs) i think maybe what it was is that it was like an easier form of lobotomy because i always thought the lobotomy like they like kind of went through your eye and then just like with like a poker and then just kind of like scrambled your brain that feels really inaccurate I don't know. Maybe like that's I'm like just that's like that mummification, right? Movies or something. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to find that episode again and listen to it. It's an episode of lore. I do remember that. Okay, I'll go check that out. Actually, yeah. I'm gonna put that on my queue right now. It's a podcast. I know what lore is. Okay, just making sure. Come on. Sorry, I didn't know. Come on. Um. Yeah. But Jack Nicholson did give a very good performance here. Oh, yeah. He's very good. He's very good at this. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry I went off. off no, you're good. A you're long clinical ramble. I appreciate it. It's just interesting, especially this is a population that I'm currently working with mm-hmm. as part of like a clinical rotation, um, both mentally ill and like criminals. And it's just an interesting combination. And it's sad to me to see that, like, it's still a population that people do not see of as human and do not treat of as human. 
and like the idea that like a mentally ill criminal who acts out because of their mental illness and gets put in solitary confinement like that is something that is only going to make their mental illness and their behavior worse scared the crap out of me i'm sorry i accidentally turned on that episode of (laughs) it's the echoes one right yep okay that's what i thought sorry continue it's fine anyway that that was just all i was really going to say is just like the combination of mental illness and criminal behavior still is looked at very negatively and there are not a lot of people to advocate for them and give them the help that they need Mm -hmm. and so oftentimes they end up in um hospitals like this or prisons where they spend most of their time in solitary confinement for one reason or another and it just makes the condition and the experience worse for everybody involved very well said thank you (laughs) yeah and that's all i really have to say about it i still feel like a mixed bowl of salsa I'm like I'm floundering between two numbers in my head for what to rate it and I'm not sure what I'm going to give it I think I think this one might make me go towards the whole number ratings yeah I think I'm actually going to do that too you guys don't have to well but I just think it'll make it easier for me you can do half numbers too yeah I I like the idea of half numbers too but because you were talking about doing half numbers yeah yeah I like that I think I could do that because I feel like this is more closer to a higher number than the lower number so I think a half would make it help. Make it help. Make it help. Make it help. Okay. Well, anything else to say before we get into trivia? Nope. All right. Sid? Okay. Waka waka trivia, Sid. Waka um, what? There's a lot. Um, many of the extras were actual uh, mental patients. Mm. Um, during the film, a crew member running cables left a second story window open, um, and an actual patient climbed through the bars and fell to the ground. Um in uh, a news headline was one flew out of the cuckoo's nest wow you just know that guy was he was so proud he was that. ready he had that typed and was just waiting for the moment like, he had a, he had an entire typewriter set aside just with that headline typed ready to go um so let's see uh the guy who played harding he apparently was diagnosed um by Dean R. Brooks, who played the psychiatrist, as having leukemia. And he was sick throughout the movie, and he ended up dying 18 months later. Ooh. Leukemia, not good. That's a rough one. That's the podcast position, is leukemia is not good. Not good. You heard it here, folks. Becca, thoughts on leukemia? Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Louise Fletcher was so upset um, at the fact that her character was so cold, um, being Nurse Ratchet, um, and that the others could have fun and just laugh and um, be happy, that at the end of production, she removed her dress and stood only in her panties to prove to the cast members that she was not a cold-hearted monster. Yeah, but then she won an Oscar, so I think she's probably okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I think she's okay. Um, also, Louise Fletcher said that she found her character human, yet remained unsympathetic, um, ultimately deciding that Nurse Ratchet actually did care about the patients and felt what she was doing was Beth best, but was ultimately misguided drunk on her own power. Um, she was also so disturbed by her performance that she couldn't watch the film for years. Um, the director, or no, the, the writer of the original novel hated this, 
um, said it was a butchering of his own movie. He vowed that he would never watch it. And one year he was lying in bed, flipping through television channels, um, saw a movie that looked interesting, realized it was his movie, and then changed the channel. <laughs> um, oh, this film was shown in Swedish cinemas between 1975 and 1987, which is still a record. What? Yeah. Those Swedes, wow. man. That's crazy. Um. Uh, so, being emotionally strained by the demands of the shoot, Danny DeVito developed a coping mechanism of an imaginary friend uh, who we would have nightly chats with. Concerned about his own sanity, he talked to Dr. Brooks, who assured him that it was a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, it, uh, side note, it took me a hot minute to recognize Danny I DeVito. I didn't know that was him at first, because I feel like he was even taller. And he had hair. He did have hair. That's what it was, I think. And he he... didn't have the glasses, too. The glasses are... And he's not, like, his normal, like, Danny DeVito self, you know? Um, um, So much of the cast and crew were concerned uh, about Sidney Lasik. He played... um, uh, What's his name? The one who was freaking out about the cigarettes. Um, Oh. Yeah, that guy. Why can't I think of his name? Um... But he exhibited increasingly unpredictable and emotionally erratic behavior during the time as a character. Um, And he was so overwhelmed in the very last scene of Chief smothering McMurphy that he had to leave the set. Um, Milo's foreman cast most of the actors by putting them in group therapy auditions. Hmm. Uh, despite trashing the hospital, the production only had to pay $250 a day to shoot there. Jeez. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nurse Ratchet's old-fashioned hairstyle shows how uptight she is, and it is also no coincidence that it resembles the horns of a devil. Aye. <laughs> um, there was a lot of trivia for this. Excuse me. Oh, um, okay. Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, and Vincent Schiavelli um, all went on to play um, villains in Batman movies. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got Jack Nicholson as the Joker, Danny DeVito as the Penguin, and Vincent Schiavelli as the Organ Grinder. I'm the Joker, baby. <laughs> all right. Have you guys not seen that? I haven't, actually. I'll have to show you. Um... This was... Oh, so Milo's foreman uh, lived at the Oregon State Hospital for four weeks just observing. Uh, this is film debut of Christopher Lloyd. Really? Mm-hmm. He's old. He was pretty old. Um, through this, uh, Dr. Brooks uh, secured jobs for 90, 89 patients at the Oregon State Hospital. They were used as extras and assistants. Hmm. Wow. Which is pretty awesome. That is cool. Um... Sorry, there's a lot, and I'm trying to filter it out. Oh, apparently Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher witnessed electroconvulsive therapy on an actual patient. Goodness. Yeah. Did you know that it's still used today, and it's a fairly effective thing? I'm sure. Thing. Like, it, like, effective for what? It's really... It's only used in very, very severe cases, but it's effective... 
I actually just learned about this in my psychology class this week. When um, people get very, very manic and aggressive, but it only happens like they go under and like they're given anesthesia Mm -hmm. and use the electroshock therapy. And it can be used for very severe depression, too. Mm -hmm. And it's not super intense doses either. Mm -hmm. And it's not all the time, but it is still used today and it is effective. Goodness. Um, let's see. Uh, 20th Century Fox was interested in distributing this in, um, in the condition that they would rewrite the ending and have Mick, Mick Murphy live. Um, then they decided to take it somewhere else. Hmm. Good. Don't compromise your values. Yeah. Don't do it. Or your story. Um, and then the principal character, Chief Bromden, doesn't speak until an hour and 23 minutes into the movie. And that is all the trivia I have. Wow. Oh, wow. All right. Well, let's get into it. Final thoughts and ranking out of 10 for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, I don't really have any more thoughts. I think I've said how I feel about it. And I'm going to give this movie a 7. A 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think I enjoyed this movie more than Becca. Um, I. It's not the best movie I've ever seen, but I did enjoy it. Um, and I, I do agree with a lot of her qualms with it. Um, but I'm going to give this one a 7.5. Sid with a 7.5. Gosh, I am so freaking torn on this. I... Mm. Wish you could use half numbers. <laughs> yeah, kind of, but that's not the promise I made. You can. I like half numbers because there really are sometimes when a movie is better than one number, but not quite at the other. Okay, you know what? This is going to break me. I'm going to do a half number. I'm going to give this one a 6.5. Oh, lower than us. Yep. As I said, like I thought as a movie, it was like just okay. Yeah. And like... I honestly like it kind of drug in the middle a little bit. Like I thought parts of it were kind of boring. Mm-hmm. So. It's fair. I don't know. I also think that we are starting to get better at properly rating movies. <laughs> <laughs> Just like for the audience, most of our movies are rated between like a nine and a 10. No, yeah. they're not. Or like an 8.5. Like it's eight between an 8 and a 10 is the majority of our... Yeah. But that's because we watch good movies. Well, yeah, yeah that's We pick true. movies that we know are going to be good. Yeah. And we've like run through all of the ones... I feel like we've run through most of the movies that like we all universally agree are really, really good. It's yeah. true. And we're getting into more things that we haven't seen and things mm-hmm. like that. And so we're getting into some more wishy-washy territory. But like yeah. you got to tell me like when we sat down to be like, you know what, guys? Let's watch The New World. I wonder if it's any good. Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like most of the movies that we've watched up until this point, we've sat down like going in, having seen and knowing that they're outstanding. And that's why we wanted to watch them and talk about them. Yeah. So that's my thought on that. (laughs) All right. Uh, That'll conclude our discussion of Mila's Foreman's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, Let's get into some other topics, which at this point, I guess, is just other movies that we've been watching. Mm -hmm. Sid, you've been busy? Um, Kind of. Not crazy busy. Um, Let me see. Okay, uh, I watched Doubt. It's very depressing. Remind me. It's the one with uh, Meryl Streep. Um, oh, 
why can't I remember her name? I hate myself so much. Amy Adams and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And right. they're nuns and there's accusations that C- Philip Seymour Hoffman is abusing a boy in the... Anyway. Yikes. Yeah, it was very sad. Uh, really well acted. I don't know if it's really one that I would like rewatch again just because it was so sad. Um, yeah. And I watched Coco, which is great. Very good. Yay. Very good. Um, I watched Amadeus. Very good. <sighs> I seriously love that movie so freaking much. It was really good. Just like... Did you watch the director's cut? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, just the character of Amadeus. He's insane, but I love him. Just just laughing like an idiot everywhere he went. So good. Um and the fact that both he and f marie abraham were nominated for best actor just crazy yeah it's insane um and then i watched border which is a i've heard that's really good swedish it was interesting okay it was not what i was expecting it kind of takes more of a fairy tale type approach and it was more sexual than i thought it would be and the sex scenes are weird. Okay. Um, but I thought it was. I thought it on was a, interesting. On a scale of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine to The Shape of Water, how weird were the sex oh. scenes? Um, honestly, it's it's pretty close to Shape of Water. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are both kind of weird. That was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's definitely interesting. Um, I think it has like some good performances. I don't know if it's really one that I would watch again or if I, I, I probably would watch it again, just not anytime soon. Um, and those are all the movies that I've been watching, but I have been watching a lot of The Outsider on HBO. I don't know what that is. It's um, uh, Stephen King and it's uh, a boy is like murdered and they have all this evidence against this one like upstanding citizen and it's just it's weird like a stephen king but it's not quite as weird as it could get i'm only like five episodes in but it's really good i really really like it i think our hbo subscription got canceled so yeah yeah bummer that's what i've been watching all right uh well we went and saw parasite in imax (sighs) It was so good. That was a joy. Just on not a that, giant Not that screen. like making it, not like that it being an IMAX honestly made that big of a difference, but just watching that movie is a joy. Oh yeah. Well, on a giant screen like that. It was fun. Yeah. It was really, really fun. fun. Yeah. It was very good, of course. Um, we're not going to talk about Parasite more though, because <laughs> if you want to hear us talk about Parasite, go listen, listen to, to the our last ten episodes. Yeah, listen to like the last <laughs> ten or fifteen episodes of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Going about, when did we see it? June. I think so. No, no, no. It had to be. I don't think. I thought it was more like August. Was it that late? I think so. It was pre thirty-one days of October, right? But it was after um, all the other movies we were excited about. It was after Midsummer, and it was after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's true. So it had to have been August or later. 
Because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Good. No, was it was July. it was November. Jeez. Okay. Why? I'm entirely wrong. Oh my yeah. Gosh. Just go back and listen to everything from November onward. Yeah. And, we'll, and we will yes. never shut We'll up have been it. talking about Parasite. I think we talked about it a couple times before then. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can go listen to our episode on Parasite. You can go listen to our end of year retrospective. Or you can go listen to our Oscars retrospective. <laughs> and we'll talk about Parasite. Yes. Um... That was the only one that you watched with me, right? No, we watched we Nocturnal watched, Animals. Yeah. That one's so oh good. Oh my goodness. What a film. That, that was amazing. Really what a film. It was just like so emotionally manipulative mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. It was amazing. It was just I could incredible. watch that again. Yeah, I absolutely could. Anytime. It's phenomenal. Weird yeah, opening scene. Is it the art? The yeah. Okay. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> it is an interesting opening scene for sure. Uh, but then I watched End of Watch. I've seen that. Eh. It's okay. Eh. I, I got on a Jake Gyllenhaal kick. Oh yeah, we love Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, oh yeah, I kind of watched that with you. I was doing homework while you were watching. My, my feeling of it is, eh. yeah. I didn't really care. Um, and then I watched Made One. What's that? It's a movie, it's about uh, this mining town in the 1920s uh, where basically like the company has taken over this entire town. Uh, They issue company script instead of money, which can be redeemed at the company store, pay your rent at your company owned housing, basically uh, just like corporatism at its finest. And Chris Cooper comes into the town to uh, recruit people for the union and it basically turns into a war. So it's a very, uh, like, union versus corporate mm. structure type deal. I, I quite liked it. Mm. I would like to see it at some but point. But also, my horse in that race falls very firmly uh, with the uh, point that the movie was trying to make. So the fact that the corporate lackeys are made out to be just, like, total douchebags. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's accurate. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's actually it. We haven't watched a ton since last week. So, yeah. I mean, that's like almost a movie a day. It's almost. not a ton for us. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'll do us though, yeah? Yep. Yeah. We thank you guys. For those of you who are still here, we appreciate you. We love you. We thank you for listening to our discussion of One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. If you have anything to say to us, feel free to do it. Email us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com or slide into the DMs. Uh, facebook.com slash we watch podcast or instagram at we watch podcast uh we'd love to hear from you guys and hear your thoughts on one flew over the cuckoo's nest or anything else really just drop us a line but from all of us here at the we watch movies and the talk about them crew we love you we appreciate you we thank you my name is andrew i'm becca i'm sid and we'll catch you on the next one bye, bye.